This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back here in studio with uh, Anchorage Mayor Dave Bronson. How you doing, Mayor Bronson? Jeff, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This is uh, it's July, I guess, what's the date today? The 6th, so it's yeah. just over two years of you uh, swearing into office in yep. 2021. So right. uh, you're here talking about kind of your, your two-year deal, and it's a three-year term, so... Two-year term, yeah. Elections next April, and then term ends uh, July 1st next year. It's already starting. A few people have already filed you and then two others. So, but I assume it's going to, yeah. like every time it gets, you have some serious ones, then you have a bunch of other, like when you ran, there was 15 people in the first, first round, right? Oh yeah. There was, there was a lot. I don't remember, but there was. There was 15. There was six kind of people actually campaigning. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't remember. That's a lifetime ago. <laughs> I, I report on all this. So it's in my, it's, it's, it's stuck in my head when you write yeah. about it, write about yeah. it so much. Well, I want to talk about a lot of things. Um, I guess the first thing is since April now, there's a new a new assembly, and right. I actually did a podcast recently with Chris Conson, who's now the right. chair. But it's uh, basically half the assembly's new mm-hmm. compared, you know, because a lot of people were some were termed out, some didn't run for yep. re-election. So, I guess what you know, what's it been like? It's been a few months since the new assembly. I know the last couple of years, it's there was times where it was kind of contentious with some of the masking stuff or the homelessness. Yeah, the the post covid stuff was there was a legacy a holdover holdover emotions from that. Um uh that kind of calmed down, you know, it took a while to do that. Uh people were still incensed. Yeah, you can see that in the crowds at the assembly meetings. We've got uh you know less emotion in the crowds and, the, and that was that was good less name calling. Um uh, makes the meetings more bearable. We we get through them now. Don't get me wrong; people have a right to say what they want to say, especially in that forum. That's what it's there for. But um, having to work the meetings, excuse <coughs> me, as I do, um, it, it's nicer when we can kind of get through all the business as soon as we can. Uh, so it's we're not finishing at midnight. Yeah, it seems like it's it's been almost. I was joking with Chris. It's almost like five ten years ago when they were kind of boring meetings. Yeah, then, we're getting back to boring. Which is good. You know, they, yeah. they, these things should be, <laughs> the local government meetings should be kind of boring. Yeah, yeah. So have you gotten to know some of the, I know there's like Karen Bronga, yeah. there's uh, Anna Brawley, there's some new, and Zach Johnson, I guess, uh, who else is there, uh, uh, the guy from Eagle River, Scott Myers. Oh, Scott's a friend, yeah. Um, Zach, um, I think he and I see a lot of things the same way. Karen, maybe not so much. Anna's real smart. Uh, especially on on development stuff, she, I think she's going to be a great, great asset. I missed the uh, last meeting. I had to uh, go out of state see parents, elderly parents. So um, Anna's, I think, going to hit some home runs for us uh, uh, for the city. And then George Martinez, he he actually ran for mayor that that time, yes. didn't he? A couple yeah, years ago. yeah, he ran against me. He was in the race for a while. Uh, nice guy. Uh, I don't. If we see the world the same way, but he's very, that's very, fine. Very uh, excited. Very a lot of energy that guy has. Oh he, well, I think he's a rapper at heart, and uh, uh, he's he's got a lot of energy, uh, and and that's probably a good thing. Do you know? think it's kind of now? There's a lot of people have left. It's so many new people. It's kind of the dynamic of the, the energy. I mean, it's almost like a reset. You think in the assembly? Yeah, with- I think we do have a bit of a reset. Um, I made a decision. You know. Um, about a year and a half ago, as I, you know, as I saw the elections coming on, um, certainly as th- as they finished, um, people of my persuasion politically uh, didn't do well. Didn't do well again just a couple months ago. Um, and you just you get into office, you hit a, you hit your stride, and you realize you got to get the work done. And uh, so I just found ways to end the controversy uh, to the degree that I could control that with the assembly. Um, I mean, I got to tell the truth. When I think they're wrong, I tell them they're wrong. But, you know, the emotion of it, um, I'd like to kind of put away. Um, I don't think that's good for government. Uh, It's not good for the process of getting things done. 
but again, uh, the caveat is always there. The people have a right to come and speak their mind. If they want to speak really loudly, I'll support it. Um, but at the end of the day, we've, we've, we've got to build our roads and our bridges. We got to get our bonds passed. You know, we got to, the, the, the sausage making that is government has to get done. And it's difficult to do that when, when, when there's a lot of folks in the room screaming, you know? Yeah. I want to ask you about the, the homelessness. I mean, I'd, I think, right. you know, pretty well, Rob Couples, he was on the podcast a few weeks ago and yeah, good guy. He's, I spent a lot of time with him these days. Unfortunately, he's a great guy. He's an entrepreneur, but I'm texting with him just about every fact, just every day and that, that, that situation on third avenue we've we, as you know we've covered we've done a few videos we did one in 2019 yep. documentary we did one a couple of years ago remember i offered to go and walk with you and do another right one. yeah we, we want actually we want to do another one yeah. this, this summer yeah you never took me up on it so i i'm well, hurt well we're still trying we haven't done another one yet but when we do yeah, another one i, I want to let's walk it we'll do it because because it seems like you know i was down there four years ago and it was pretty bad and then when COVID happened third avenue pretty much kind of cleared out and then now i think people are pretty aware there's a big encampment down there with you know, hundred plus tents and there's been some vandalism and it's just kind of really Yeah, and Rob's, up. Rob, you know, in couples cottages, uh, his business, his enterprise down there has been suffering a lot of that. Um, I, he had some graffiti a couple nights ago. Um, somebody said white power with, wrote it with a wrote, Y. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I says, that. well, we have spelling challenge there. Somebody, uh, <laughs> and I don't know why it was there. It has nothing to do with him. The location was next to the, um, well, he, uh, the he, Baptist Church, so First Native Baptist. So I, I don't, you know, it's, but then again, these people, uh, some of these people in the, in the camper, I spent a lot of time there. I was there three times yesterday, and they're challenged. Well, in the email he sent, there's a security footage of him. So you, you can see who. Security who, f- uh, of the cameras. The, the cameras of the people doing the, the, you know, the white power with the Y. Yep. Um, but, you know, I know there's been a proposal by some about this, uh, these, pallet company to do like a temporary housing kind of in midtown how do you yeah there's a pilot project that some on the assembly are advancing i'm not uh i have no trouble with that it's it's a good experiment but um i think i was watching some news news videos uh last night alexis and i were sharing these videos uh texting back and forth from san diego and the challenges there they're learning all the same lessons that we seem not to be following they're ahead of us so ted wheeler mayor of uh, portland is learning his lessons too you know you just don't allow this random camping downtown you can mm-hmm. you got you got to get control everyone there's principles i always start with the general and then work to the specific the general is is everyone follows the rules everyone obeys the law there's no such thing as a poverty defense that is the the, the poorer you are and this is a formalized uh, process in some of the large cities in lower 48 seattle and uh, where the poorer you are, the fewer laws that you have to obey. We don't do that. We're, we're a republic, and we govern by laws, and everyone is subject to the same laws. And, um, and we kinda, we're getting away from that. We are making many of the same mistakes that uh, these other cities, who are now they're a few years ahead of us, and they're, they're f- changing their policies. Well, San Diego is one of them. One of the frustrations I have, and, and I have this, I read that book, it's actually back there on my bookshelf, San Francisco by I've got the Michael, book. So Michael Schellenberger, and, and he's a progress, he's a liberal person, yes, but he, he, he lived in San Francisco and got so tired of, of what was happening. And uh, a big theme that he talks about that I really agree with is, you know, I'm obviously housing is important, but you can't house people that are addicted to drugs and alcoholics and not say, Hey, you can't do drugs. You can't drink. And this is this mentality in some place, especially on the West Coast, where, well, if you want to do drugs, if you want to, that's your choice. That's your, that's your, we can't tell you not to do that. And yes, then, we can. And, and then what happens is you get this housing and you get the costs go up. And I think in San Francisco, they're up to $600,000, $700,000 per unit. And then more people move there because they can, can be, yeah. maybe get a place. And you have these open air drug markets. And there has to be, in my view, a strict, to, you know, non-tolerance on this bad behavior. If, if, if we're, if we're going to, if the society is going to help you, you need to help yourself too. You're exactly right. One of the videos that we were looking at last night was a uh, local newscast from San Diego interviewing this gal. And she says, you know, we're kind of spoiled here. She's a homeless gal living on the street. She says, we're kind of spoiled. Spoil. We get free food. We get free phones. She says, my sister just asked, where do I sign up for this homeless gig here in San Diego? Now they have a weather issue that uh, is far more conducive to living on the street, but that's not the point. The point is, is in a republic, we have to live uh, again by the law and the laws, the ordinances. And uh, 
<coughs> and we're we're not doing that. And well, I see us traveling down the same path that that all these other West Coast cities. Well, like you said, is this some people kind of have this poverty as a defense, and you know n- nobody should be penalized for being for being poor. No, but at the same time, people who live in a city anywhere should be able to walk down the street or go down the trail. Right where I live, on I live in Midtown, kind of by Dowling and Old Seward. And if mm-hmm. you go on the Campbell Creek Trail down across Dowling, there's a there's a whole camp there. There's, I was walking. There's about you know, I'm a big guy, whatever. But if you're a woman or a kid or a family, and you're walking, you see this, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's not you don't feel safe. I had a neighbor years ago. The kid found a needle in Campbell Creek. You know, right right on the Campbell Creek Trail. Oh, a needle. You're doing well because there's lots of needles and and. And uh, the thing of it is, is I, I again going working now from the general down to the specifics. Uh, the we you you're exactly right. We don't punish people for being poor or for being homeless, but we do punish people, everyone, for misbehaving, mm-hmm. and that's the portion that we've forgotten. And uh, we seem to reward bad behavior. We provide free food, free home, uh, you know, free living areas. Um, and I'm just going to say this, it's going to be controversial, but we have we operate by a housing first model and that's a failure. San Diego is saying that overtly right now, housing first, it's got to be shelter first and then it has to be treatment second and then it has to be housing third. Because, that's, that's what because the bills I'm paying to these hotels that we're putting people in that I've, I've been paying um, because of the damage, there's some people that can't live alone in an apartment or in anything. They need intense uh, management, intense supervision in a shelter environment, uh, in a building that's designed for that, where one person can supervise many uh, because that's where your cost efficiencies will will start to come to play. And uh, we've got to change. We're, we're, we're following a game plan, and it's going to end in well, failure. In, in, in the San Francisco book, um, one of my kind of takeaways, and I've been to Europe a lot, but you, we always think of Europe as a very – liberal kind of place but in europe they've many years ago decades ago figured a lot of this stuff out yeah and and they have a much different approach and they want to help people but they also aren't going to let it's not a free-for-all you can't do whatever you want you have to help yourself too and places um like you know amsterdam holland portugal um they, they've really developed models to, to really improve this stuff by making people work to help themselves and the more they help themselves the more you know help they get and then you know ultimately the goal is to have you be a kind of on your own. Right. You, everyone has to participate, in, including the, the homeless person. And uh, they've got to want to be helped. Uh, unfortunately, without shelter space in the city, um, without that shelter space, uh, we cannot compel people to go to something that doesn't exist. Uh, I came in two years ago, uh, came across a plan that was proposed to me I looked at it, we analyzed it, and I support it, and that's a large shelter in Tudor and Elmore. Uh, that study looked at 71 different sites around the city, and they came to one conclusion, and that was that site. Cause it's they a na- navigation at, center, right? Yeah, the Tudor Navigation Center. And um, uh, I support that because they looked at bus routes. They looked at availability of police. They looked at, um, you know, water, sewage. They looked at all those things and uh, close enough to services because Native Hospital, the, the whole hospital university complex is across the street. And they looked at that. I, I didn't choose that site. Um, that's kind of a misconception that I did. Um, we looked at a study and that study chose that from a national group. And, and I adopted the plan and I, to this day, it is the single best plan and it's, it's our way out of this because, and not to get now into more and more specifics, there's a, you know, this, I know there's a case in the ninth circuit court from 2017 and 2018 called Martin versus Boise. And it was, Mm -hmm. I believe five plaintiffs in, uh, homeless folks in Boise that sued the government because they were, they were being, I guess, punished for being homeless. Well, from that, a, a judge made a decision, and I and I have to say, uh, it wasn't that bad of a decision. Uh, it, it's created problems, but as what it does, it says you can't punish the status of being homeless, and it says, and and you just can't keep moving people around and 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 and, and shuffling them around without good reason. Uh, until you have a shelter space. So once you have enough, so let we're sitting at about 700 um, uh, unsheltered people in this uh, in, the, in the city right now. It depends on the time of the year; it varies actually quite a bit. 
So let's just say in any given day, it's 700. If I have produced 701 shelter beds, then I can go to all these sites, all these campgrounds, and enforce our local laws. Right now I can't. People are saying, why isn't Bronson doing something? These people are camping in public areas. They're in parks. I'm not allowed to. It's, it's the law. Well, it, it's, it's, for Anchorage, it even goes further beyond that. I'm sure you're probably aware about 10 years ago or more, maybe 2012, Mayor Sullivan, then Mayor Sullivan, um, kind of the ACLU would sue it over some Guy similar issues. on the front and, sidewalk, yeah. And they did a, like a consent decree. Or the Mayor Sullivan at the time kind of agreed to, you know, do, do this where you can't kick people out unless there's, that was before the Mar- Martin v. Boise. Right. And I'm kind of always wondered, I need to ask him at some point why, I'm curious why he did that because you wouldn't think he would, you know, Republican conservative guy would, would agree with the ACLU on, on, on this, but that goes back about 10 years. Well, you have to, you have to stay within the law. I mean, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight Martin versus Boise. The nice thing is, is since that case, there's been follow on case law that's kind of opened that up and allowed and allowed more and more latitude. But I don't think principally we ever want to get to the point where we punish people for being homeless, but mm. we, we do need to compel them to do what's best for them. And I don't think that's punishment whatsoever. Uh, and get them into treatment. So they got to be analyzed. So get them into a place where they're clean and warm and sober, and then that you get them to a, a point psychologically. And I campaign on this. This is a campaign thing from three years ago. You get them to a place where psychologically they're able to make, uh, start making good life decisions for themselves. And and that's what a navigation facility begins. It's that place where you you've 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 got to have that that professional touch the the social workers uh the psychiatrists the psychologists have to be there and then they navigate those people to what they need well i think another problem too is you know i couldn't couldn't believe this but somebody was telling me back in the 90s uh ap um api had hundreds of beds and now there's i don't know what the number is but it's it's dozens and it's and there's not very many open so i've spent a lot of time in these camps and i but you know you know i stayed the night at the sullivan arena one one night Mm -hmm. last year and um, I spent uh, a night at the campground last year. Yes, you know, unfortunately, there is a, a, a percentage of these people, not a small one, that are just really mentally um, ill. And, and it's, I, six, I think, it's 60 to 80 percent. And, and I think it's it's just I know it's very hard for if somebody's really mentally ill and needs help. I don't know unless they have family with money or, or connection or something. I don't think it's very easy to go and get mental health treatment right now if, if you really want it. Uh, you're right. And so we have to understand here again, getting back to more general things. This is a statewide problem. We have 40% of the population. We have 65% of the homeless. Um, the taxpayers in this city can no longer, and this is an expensive venture, uh, dealing with homeless, unfortunately. Um, my taxpayers can't keep foot in the bill for that, for that 25% differential, that 40 to 65%. Uh, this has to be a statewide solution. And I went to the legislature last year with a $25 million ask this previous uh, session to help us start dealing with this problem. And if we stand up the mechanism, uh, again, I guess you call it a government program, but if the state sets this up, and uh, and provides a facility where those who are psycho- psych- psychiatrically challenged and get that help, we, we piece by piece, uh, we start solving this problem. But the shelter portion is 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 a huge mm. component. So you know, in this city, in the last thirty six months, we've spent one hundred and sixty one million dollars on homeless, and we don't have a shelter to show for it. It's a lot of money. Un- unbelievable amount of money and I, am i saying it was all wasted certainly not um the money we've supported some of the nonprofits in the in the public private partnerships um is money well spent say providence and uh rasmussen foundation and some of the others some of the catholic social service it's worked well it they provide the sh- that shelter that they add to that aggregate um shelter bed space that number and uh but I'm just telling you, we have wasted a lot of money, mm-hmm. and now we're out of money. Um, I want to move on. I want to ask you about you've had yeah. some new staff announcements. Uh, former Senator Mia Costello, she's now right. your legislative director, and then yes. um, Mario Bird, he was kind of briefly the municipal attorney, attorney, but the assembly didn't was not confirmed. Confirm him. So now he's uh, he was still in the Department of Law, but now he's chief of staff. So no, he was not. He he when he left the when he was not confirmed, he came up to the eighth floor and. 
all fairly shortly thereafter and became a policy advisor. To okay. Me. okay. And now he's the chief of staff and doing, by the way, a great job. So maybe talk first about me. I know she was obviously in the legislature, I think yeah. 14 years and yeah, many years. Yeah. Great, great individual. Um, uh, extremely intelligent, wise, calm, uh, good swimmer too. And she, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, she, she passes along a great, great advice. Um, I speak with her multiple times a day and, um, you know, she did, she did close in office management for Wally Hickel. She's, she's got a lot of experience and she brings that to us and we're uh, deeply grateful for that. She's a, a great addition. And then Mario, now he's chief of staff. Um, right. Adam, you know, before Adam Trombley, he, he left. And then right. I think there was Sammy Grant. So there's a couple of chiefs of staff. Right. And now there's Mario. Talk a little bit about, I don't know him that well. I've met him, met him one, 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 Mario? once or twice. Uh, he's an attorney by practice. He grew up in the Kenai Peninsula. Dad's, uh, Dad's Bob Berg, right? From the radio, uh, yes. The, 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 yes. Radio, the radio. Pub, uh, public educator and then, and mm-hmm. then a uh, public uh, radio commentator. Bird's eye view. Yeah. They call and... Um, so I know Mario very well. I work um, cheek by jowl with him all day long. Uh, he's he's doing a great job. It's one of the toughest jobs in the city because he's I get to do policy, but he's got to uh, he's got to facilitate policy and make the departments. Um, he's got to get the departments on how to get get to the policy uh, directives. So what's it been like? From, you know, two years ago to now, there's you know so many departments and there's law and there's tax and there's real estate, you know, real estate, and there's all these different functions and there's thousands of employees. I mean, what have you just learned, you know, now compared to two years ago when you first got, got in? Uh, single biggest lesson is, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I guess I, I, I came at this as a fairly conservative person, uh, naturally suspicious of government of any, of any level. I spent all my life in the government working for the department of defense and uh, but this is what I've learned. I, I've I, I've worked in the Air Force. Excellent group of people. I did that for twenty four years. I uh, or pilot, right? Yeah, I worked for the airlines for thirty years. Excellent group of people. But this is what I've learned. If you want one big lesson, I have learned that the uh, employees of the municipality Anchorage are the finest people I've ever worked with, um, bar none. Um, there very few of them are political. They just want to do their job. And the and the my goal is is to get government out of the way so they can do their job. And from snow removal to tax collection, to um, to every last function, especially the folks at Parks and Recs, and are are doing a you know that's kind of my favorite group i guess for lack of a better phrase uh the healthy spaces people there do a fantastic job that's the group of people very small group that goes in and cleans up day in day out year after year cleans up after the you know the homeless when we when we've got to go in and clean up the litter and all the other stuff that's not uh, real pleasing these are the people that do and they do it with a smile and uh Hard workers, the whole city is like that, and I am um, I am extremely pleasantly surprised by the quality of. You, you mentioned the snowplow, and I wanted to ask you about that. This last right. you know winter record snowfall, especially right. in December, it was like three in a row, um, and you know the ro- roads plowing was was a real challenge on not right. just the city roads, state state roads too. There was just a real challenge yeah. with that. Um, if we have another snowfall again next next, and right now the quote unquote summer outside, but it's been very <laughs> summer like, maybe a couple of days. Yeah. Uh are we pre- are we, you know, prepared to, to deal with um that kind of snowfall and, and, and not not have the some of the plowing well, issues we, we saw this last year? Right. Is what we did is uh, that snowfall basically we had you know, two feet of snow, two days off, two feet of snow, two days off, two feet of snow. We got six about especially over in uh, Muldoon area we got six feet of snow. And uh, that was, if we would have got just six feet and dumped, it probably would have better, been better because this is how we're, we plow our streets. First, we get a snowfall, it gets over four inches. We have to plow the arterials that, that we own, and we, we don't own all of them. The state owns quite a few of them, actually. And then you, when those are done, you go to what's called connectors, and that's the things that, the roads that connect them. And then when you're done with them, then you, um, you go to the residentials. And you've got 84 hours to do all that. Okay. The trouble is, is in that you hit 48 hours, you hit two days, you're not done. 
And then uh, you've got it before you get into the residentials, you got to go back and get the arterials because that's public safety. So that's police, fire, and, and ambulances. So we never, we spent many days plowing and we never got into the residentials in a lot of instances. And um, that, cr- that created a real problem, uh, a real big problem. The state was behind their undermanned, we were undermanned. Um, is, we, some, is some of it? It seems like, you know, with, with inflation and the, all these, you know, co- increased costs, I heard some people, you know, because the wages might not have kept up, were taking other jobs, you know, plow drivers or bus drivers too. They'd find, you know, jobs in the private sector maybe and they'd make, is that, is that part of it? Is there a staffing issue? Yeah, well, th- there was. So we want to be, basically have two snow plows. So snow plows, when we think of them, really that's graders. That's, that's the, the, um, those big things that spark when they're hitting the when you can well, see well no the, the graders are not a not a necessarily a dump truck with a plow under it or even in front of it the graders that's what does the majority of the work so we had thirty one we had some maintenance problems in the first two days of snow and we went down I think to twenty seven real quick so um, thank heavens we came into the season with uh, my understanding is thirty one because early in the uh, in the year last fall we had uh, we had two down for transmission I think one down for engine and that that's a big thing so we have the supply chain thing uh, problem that we all saw we saw it on the grocery stores well anyways we got up well then for maintenance issues with big heavy machines that are pounded we wound up down to twenty seven we got them back and then we went out and and added some contractors for, I think, three or four others from our, from our term contractors. So that was the snow removal. That was, and you got to look at it in basically two halves. So there's snow plowing, and then there's snow removal. So once you get it all plowed up, then you have got to gotta put, uh, it, haul, gotta you put gotta it somewhere. Haul, you got to haul it away. And There's still that to, big mound over there on off of uh, the Seward by... Yeah, it's, it's still, it's still there. there. Yeah. It's still there, you know. Well, we we have so much snow. We have snow dumps, and I'm just telling you, one of the most valuable pieces of real estate in the city is a snow dump. We have to have them, and we're facing a challenge now with Davis Park and Mountain View, where um, the military owns it. We lease that footprint, and we've got this large uh, snow dump there that um, the military wants us to abate. That you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the homeless out of there. If we don't, we may lose that I mean, snow dump. That would be that would be a disaster. This, this might be a dumb idea, but I just I was thinking when it was so much snow, why don't we just have like some kind of incinerator where we just melt it? Is uh, that, a lot that, of European an, cities do that. An option? Uh, yeah. throw, can we throw it in the in the inlet? Nope. No. Uh, we, we, that, Is there a that EPA makes, thing or what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's in because of the stuff we put throw in the water. I'm bad. Well, <laughs> uh, my understanding is some municipalities around the country can do that. Uh, but what we put on our roads prevents that. Uh, the oh, irony right. is that I when see, it melts yeah. and it goes into the storm drains, the storm grays, storm. They still drains, go to the. <laughs> so it goes the inlet anyway. So uh, I don't understand that, but that's federal. So you're uh, saying some European they melt it? Yeah, they have great big natural gas fired um, boxes, and the front loaders come in and they do it, and it turns it into water and goes down into the gutters and and off to wherever. Uh, that's a huge capital expenditure yeah I bet. so uh this was a once in a 50 year snowfall and uh it was huge and then the sequencing of it as i said was extremely problematic uh, but i you know i take the blame for it i i budget my my interface with snow removal is i i, I budget for it and uh and so this year is what we did is we added a million dollars to the budget but this is not unlike what senator sullivan went through years ago he had the same problem and then he came in and he added a lot of money to the snow removal budget. And then we had several years of snow. snowfall. <laughs> and so is what I'm doing is I'm raising property taxes on the, on the people that are already taxed way too high for snow removal that isn't needed in the ensuing years. But that's the nature of this business of, of running a city. And um, I accept the responsibility for that. Um, well, it was, it was, you know, I, I'm on my condo board and we have 116 units. And I've talked about this a few times. We, you know, we had this. Um, ice damming problem we've had mm-hmm. in the past a little bit, but it was really bad. We had we had to clear. We had to hire um, our maintenance guy to take snow off the off the, off the yep. buildings, and it was very expensive. And we had ice damming and leaking, and you know we had a huge cost, way way more than we budget. I mean, it's luckily the insurance is going to cover some of it, but uh, I right. know at the base there was buildings they were having their shovel and, and take we snow. Had, off. We had buildings. We had commercial buildings uh, collapse. Mm-hmm. So that, someone died in that cr- CrossFit. Uh, yeah, and and. 
that that's that's a problem. But the, again, when you have these historic snowfalls, that's what happens. And the next thing, it's the, last year's snowfall is going to impact next year or later this year. And it's it's this is we have snow dumps we believe now will not be melted by the time we start adding to them. So I guess I guess the municipality. I have an idea. You we're, give me, you we're give, in the glacier making business. You give me a flamethrower. I'm, I'm not going to charge you guys. Okay, just yeah. I'm going to go out there and take care of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, if it works that way, good on you. Um, so it it but it, you know we who knows what next winter is going to bring us. We're we're prepared. Um, we just had a meeting on it yesterday uh, with all the players, and we're going to schedule a roundtable again because after that in January, I got everybody at a table and I said, you know, hey, what happened? What do we you know, not in a con- condemning sense. I just, just what happened. And, and they said, well, we weren't entirely prepared for this. We had some contractual problems. Some people had committed to a certain amount of snow lift, you know, hallways, um, didn't deliver uh, or couldn't deliver. It would be more accurate. Uh, we're not blaming them. It's just, it, it worked out uh, poorly. And, but again, I'm responsible. So, so we, that's we have, on me. we have on our uh, association, the, Public road goes through, but then we have a private road as well. So we have a you know, contractor we hired does our, right. our, our winter and summer maintenance, and they do the plowing and the, the, you know, the hauling, and we have some snow storage areas. But we pay them. This has been contract for a long time. We have a set fee per month, and it's kind of if it snows a lot, we win. If it doesn't <laughs> snow, they win. But yeah. we just have this set monthly, and it's for the summer and the winter, and it tends to work out. But this year, I mean, they really had problems. I mean, it, it was challenged because they have a lot of contracts, and, like, same thing you're talking about. You have to get the roads cleared. Or you can start, you know, getting yep. to the other roads. and Well, and then you have to haul away, which is the much longer uh, process. You you simply, these berms are so high, they became safety issues mm-hmm. in traffic. So you've, you've got to haul them away. And um, we're, we're trying to get another snow dump in the city over on the west side. Uh, I, I just hope that we don't lose this. You know, I've got to work with Jay Bear so I don't lose this snow dump in Davis Park. Um a lot of moving parts here, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a problematic <clears throat> month, that's for sure. Well, I want to ask you about the the housing. That's another issue right. we all hear about, and you know, unfortunately, Alaska has been losing population for ten years, but but especially in Anchorage, it's well, we're gaining again. We're starting to, it seems, yeah. it seems. But for ten years, we we were losing. But for Anchorage, you know, I look on the MLS, and and there's not that many homes for sale no. even, and then there's very little building happening. I mean, the valley's kind of, I think, something like half the new housing in the state is in the valley. Um, they're built, they're building a lot out there. There's maybe more land, but what, what, you know, what, what can we do? I mean, there's a lot of ideas, but if there was a boom, if there was some reason for people to move here, I don't know where they would live. There's nowhere to live for, for most people, especially the, you know, the average price of a house is for almost five hundred four hundred fifty thousand dollars $450,000. I mean, right. That's 420. Yeah. It's, uh, well, uh, I, so I went to a big builder. If I mentioned the name, everyone would recognize him. And he gave me two price lists and he's got about, I don't know, 70 floor plans. And the identical floor plan for Palmer was Siller and uh, as we do for Anchorage. He gave me the price list. So there was one that was like a $490,000 house uh, floor plan. This does include the dirt. $490,000 uh, floor plan for Anchorage, and it's about a $447,000 floor plan for Palmer. And you go through his cheapest house to his most expensive floor plan, and it was all like that. So I, I naturally I have to ask the question: Why are we, why are we so much more expensive in Anchorage? Well, part of it is our Title Twenty One, but in the, the aggregate, is it's the cost um, imposed by government, the planning, the permitting process. Um, and I'm not saying that we're doing it wrong, uh, or that Palmer Wasiller are doing it wrong, but we we're competing for people with with Palmer and Wasilla. Uh, we've had an exodus. There, I've been told about 10,000 people in the last 10 years since the last census have left and gone to gone to the valley because and, and they make this calculation in their mind, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get a bigger lot, I'll get a better house for less money, and I'll just get a small four-cylinder car and I'll commute. Um, well, that commuting is not good for society. Certainly it adds to the pollution, but it, it adds to our road maintenance. Um, we need to have people, if at all possible, entice them to live as close to their workplace as they can. I think that's good for them. I would love to live as close as possible to work because, you know, I'm going in, you know, five to six times a week and I'd like to minimize that time. So uh, at the end of the day, um, 
we when I came in two years ago, uh, Adam Trombley was working me working for me in economic development. His goal, and he did a good job. He uh, we made some real changes to Title Twenty One. That's a continuous process. So Title Twenty One is that section of municipal code which drives how you can use your property. Title Twenty Three, and this is how I remember it. Very simple terms. Title Twenty Three is how you build your building. You know what kind of nails, what kind of lumber, what what those codes. But we've got to get a government out of the way in how we develop our property. I know they recently uh, kind of approved this ADU thing. That, that right. Seems I to help, that. Help, help a little bit. You can have these little structures on your property. Auxiliary dwelling units, yeah. A friend of mine downtown, they parents built one, and now they're kind of renting it out. So it's pretty, pretty nice, actually. It's yeah, we, ne- we need to add to the aggregate. Um, certainly from Girdwood to the Hayflats, it's, it simply has to be done. Uh, we've got some larger projects possibly coming in the Eagle River. Um, working with uh, the folks from Eklutna. We really hope that gets on board. Uh, uh, that's a water supply issue right now. And, and you know, Eklutna Tribe and Eklutna Corporation have been fantastic partners over the years, and we want to just keep working with them. And how, how much do you, and this is a you know, nationwide problem, but there's, you know, the NIMBYism, not in my backyard, and that's definitely a problem everywhere. And um, there's actually a really good book by uh, Matthew Iglesias called One Billion Americans, and mm-hmm. He's got a pretty progressive guy who co-founded Vox, but his thing is we need more people, a billion, and compete with China was one of the reasons. But even if we had a billion, which sounds like a lot, it's triple the pop- current population, we'd still have a lower population density than all these countries in Europe. So he, right. he, he argues, you know, through housing policies one way and then, you know, child care you know, policy, you know, family policies on tr- child care is very expensive. That's one of the reasons people aren't having kids. Right. But, um, this, you know, I think the perfect example is Girdwood, this, this Holton Hills. And we wrote about that pretty, Paxson, pretty extensively. And there was a great project that, you know, a few people kind of decided to stop because they didn't want it. And, and and it might be coming back. I know there's been some talk about re- re- reviving that. But to me, that's a kind of microcosm example of what happens when a few people who have, you know, influence and power and go around to the community councils can kind of use misinformation and maybe fear tactics to stop mm-hmm. a project from going through. And I know you guys, you know, Adam Trombley was big on that. On well, that he, that, yeah, that was his project. That was his baby. He, he worked it, he worked it hard, I think for 19 months, mm-hmm. like real hard, gave up time with his wife and daughters to, to, to do that because we needed that. I supported him in that. I thought, I thought I, I adamantly support the notion of a more, housing in, in Girdwood. Um, that project, that was kind of his thing, and I supported that because he supported it, because it provided housing. But there was a lot of misinformation because the, the group, the investment group that come in and develop, was developing the land doesn't build vertically. And they're already saying, well, how many people, what's the density, and how high are the buildings going to be? And she's saying, I, I don't build up. I, I develop land, and then builders come in and make those determinations. Um I, in Girdwood, I've, I've had people say, you know, the same people say we have to solve our workforce housing shortage down here because that's that's a crisis in in uh, in Girdwood. The oh, yeah, pe- people either having, workers. having to commute or some people are staying in, like, tents, you know, it's um, in the summertime. It's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Right. Well, the, and, and, you know, the lodge, the marketplace is kind of stepping in because um, the resort has come in and they're building a big housing mm-hmm. project for their workers. That's a good thing. Uh, Holden Hills, I believe, was a great idea. I don't know if the public process was robust enough. I, I don't. I, I trust Adam, and, and he said it was. Um, but the public, uh, the public down there, made their decision, and and I support that. And I think, but I think we now that the land has been identified and we have uh, the zoning and the assembly is pretty much on board. Um, we, I think, we can get to an answer. I don't know precisely what that that answer looks like when it comes to square footage and how big a homes, but I've had some of the very same people who say we don't have enough working space will come in and say, Mayor, when all these new things are built, you got to make sure people can't rent them out as uh, bed and breakfasts or VRBOs. And I'm going, well, uh, is yours a VRBO? And he says, well, yeah, but I'm already here. And I, and I go, well, <laughs> that's folks, the, that's the, I got mine crowd. Yeah. F- well, yeah, it's not the NIMBY crowd. That's the, I've got mine. I don't know what the acronym is for that, but um, we live in a Republic where there's equal treatment under the law. And, uh, and I wasn't about to, to support something like that. I think the marketplace will solve this. If, if government kind of gets out of the way, 
because that's going to be the best solution. Now, are they $5 million homes or $500,000 homes? I think, again, the marketplace will desi- will decide that. Um, but the government stepping in and telling individuals what you can and cannot do with your personal property, uh, that doesn't... That doesn't sit well with me. What about um, this proposal? I think it's Meg and maybe Daniel Voland, Meg Zalta, I think, but they want to rewrite the, the code here, the kind of zoning code in Anchorage. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not too deep into that yet. We're, we're, my staff is looking at that, um, and we're going to get to that's gonna get, that's, probably a policy position. That, that, that Kevin that, Cross is, is kind of written into that one too. Um, right, yeah, I think he's involved. That's going to – you want to talk about – NIMBY, you talk about some of these community councils. You watch, that's going to pop off when that right. comes up. Some of these well, n- NIMBYism <coughs> is is a problem. But then again, the people that are not in my backyard, um, they get to say that and they get to fight for that. But at the end of the day, then don't because don't don't fight against the problems that come from NIMBYism, which is not enough housing. Mm-hmm. It it just is what it is. Yep. And but this is how we solve our problems in this country. It's it's a messy. Messy way of doing it, but it's still the best way, I think, to do it. I've got confidence in the system still. What Churchill said, democracy is the worst system, except for the other, all the other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I know you're not, I recall, you're not a bridge guy, Kabata Bridge. I'm a big bridge guy. But I think, you know, for one, the egress part of it is one reason to do it. But if the bridge got built, I mean, I think that would that would open up huge swaths of land in, in Point McKenzie. E- and egress for who? Anchorage, right now there's one way out, you know, so if there's well, an earthquake there's, or yeah, somebody hits the bridge with a truck, you know, it's kind of the road gets, the road gets blocked. The Glen, the Glen well, Highway. yeah, but I mean, egress to the valley, uh, but it's also egress for them. Something, if there's a big earthquake up there and they got to egress to Anchorage, um, uh, all roads are two ways. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a flag in the sand set on, on Kabata, uh, the problem I have for the in my job is to protect the municipality. That's I get up every day and that's all I think about. You build a bridge and you build it across there, and we've got a bunch of. You think the exodus was big when you have to drive fifty or fifty-five minutes to Wasilla to get to your house? If you cut that time in half by creating a bridge, all we're doing is we're taking our property tax base and moving it to a different jurisdiction, which is the Matsu Borough. And uh, and who's left here to pay the bill? And see, we have enough land in the city to develop HLB land, real estate land. We still have land for now. Do I think Kabata will happen one day? Uh, I I think I do. Um, but now I don't think that. now I, I, is the time I, because we we've got jurisdictional and property issues on Government Hill that are tied to that because. W- when, when that bridge comes in, it's got to go somewhere. That's, Where's the H2H, the highway-to-highway plan? That's why Chris Constance, he's also pretty opposed to the bridge because of the, the Government Hill um, element. But uh, you're right. I mean, that would there would be a lot of people that would move, and that would mm-hmm. contribute to the Matsu you know, borough tax base, property tax base. But I also think that would start opening up houses here for maybe younger people, and the prices would start to you know go down and it equalize eventually. But I do think it would open up a lot a lot of housing in Anchorage. I have a friend right now; he's younger and he wants to buy a place and works pretty hard, not a lot of money, but you know, right? So he he just can't afford to buy a place. Or interest rates are part of it, but also the prices. Well, I think that's the strongest argument for it is that it open it 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 drives down the cost by driving of housing by driving up the supply of housing. Uh, I think that's a a good argument, but I think we satisfy that in the near term by developing the lands that we have. And I'm not saying plowing under parks or anything like that. I'm saying the HLB land and the real estate land that the muni owns, plus private land that we can bring into into develop, uh, allow the marketplace to solve the problem. I think that's the best path going forward, even as we plan for the bridge and for highway to highway plan to, to come to fruition. Um, because you can't just, guess what? That thing dumps, that Kabata bridge dumps into the third and Ingress site. Yeah. That is precisely the site where it, where it comes in. Um, <clears throat> what does that interchange look like? You know, uh, those, those are some big questions. And uh, when I talked to a friend uh, who was very senior at the Army Corps engineer here, about 10 years ago when this happened, he says, Dave, we don't even know where the bottom of the inlet is. He says, we, we start driving. You drive the pilings until they hit a certain level of um, friction that then 
therefore going forward would be load bearing. Um, well, that was the port. That was a port problem, wasn't it? What's that? A long time ago with a port. And they tried to drive those piles down originally. Well, those are two different things. The pilings at the port, the sheet piles, they went down and hit rock, large rock, and they made a decision to keep driving it and tried to drive the steel plates through the rock. That didn't go well because underwater, the pilings buckled. They came, they're, they're a tongue-and-groove kind of mechanism, and I've seen it, and they split. Well, then all of a sudden, during the tide cycles, we have four, essentially four tide cycles a day, and the gravel was seeping out that, that they piled up behind these sheet piles to create a, a flat space. And we were getting sinkholes all over the place because over time, you know, some of these sinkholes were 100 yards away from the face where, they were, where this gravel was leaking into the inlet. And um, so that didn't go well. But then now we understand with the largest ships being commissioned for a cargo uh, and for the military, that whole area that's behind the sheet piles most of that area needs to be removed anyways because we don't have turnaround space, uh, maneuvering space for the larger ships. So it's a self-solving problem. And we did win a $367 million lawsuit on that. Mm-hmm. We're waiting, I think, for April, and we'll have a decision on that. If we get the th- full 367, that'll go a long ways towards developing our, completing that's from, our port. That's from the Army, is it from the Army Corps, I think? No, it's called the- MARAD, Marine Administration. Okay, and it's a department, I believe, within uh, Department of Transportation. And, but right now, the lawsuit, the, the settling of the money and the paying of the money is within Treasury and uh, Department of Justice. I, I interrupted you on the piles, but you were talking about the, the bridge and right. the bottom. Your buddy was talking about the bottom. or Oh, right. Yeah. Well, so h- how do we know how much it's going to cost? Of course, we would, never, we would never start it until we know what it's going to cost. Uh, that will be for some mayors and assembly people down the line. Right now, I'm, my focus is to get the port up and seismically secure because it isn't. And you and I spoke about this when I was here last year. Uh, that port feeds 90 to 95% of the, of the population of the state. And if that port fails, seismically fails, or fails in a seismic event, um, this is a pretty traumatic number, but not less than half the population of the state will have to leave the state until it's fixed. No food, no people. We just had a little quake. It was small, but it woke me up on Monday morning. It scared the hell out of me. It was 4.6. It was a big jolt. When we had our 7-1 a few years ago, this is what I was subsequently told, and it got my attention. They said, had that um, um, earthquake on seven or eight more seconds, the docks would have failed. And then we'd be in the worst environment we, we can imagine. Because when it fails, um, it fails into the area where the new dock would have to be built. So now you would have to bring in all this heavy equipment and remove that before you could even start reconstruction of a dock that su- supplies the food. So if there was a catastrophic failure, what's the plan? Would the, would the ship still come and they, they would... They use heli- um, helicopter. How would they get the? I mean, how would we get the trucks? Well, no, you, know? you wouldn't. Uh, Alcan. And, and, well, uh, it would be a, a, a shared uh, strategy. Um, our food. Most of our food comes from the ship. Most of everything's from our cars to our parts to our snowmobile parts, boat parts, food comes from those four ships that come. So we have two that come in on Sundays and two that come in on Tuesdays. Tote and Matson. And those ships supply everything. If the dock fails before the ones, the first seismically secure dock is standing, if it fails, it's going to take an equivalent of 747 freighter aircraft a week to make up that volume. 700? 700. That's why we ship things on ships, because they can carry so much. And it's not fast. Uh, I, would, I would have guessed... Oh, lower, jeez. Nope. This is seven. The, when I came into office, it was like seven forty, seven forty sevens equivalent. Well, that that I I flew seven forty seven freighters for eighteen years in, in Anchorage. I, I so I know a little bit about the industry. That that capacity doesn't exist. No one's going to give up their capacity to fix an Alaska problem. They don't need to because those seven forty sevens are flying cargo all over the world. You'd have to take almost all the seven forty seven cargo aircraft or MD-11, or or uh, or 777 car and, and drive it just to feed us. It, this is our problem. What about, it's what, our about fix. what about trucks? Come. Well, certainly that would come in, but you, you 
that would be through Canada. Um, so in part, uh, we would be back to maybe barging uh, up and onto the beach and, and like we used to decades ago. We, we'd go old school on this. Mm-hmm. But we don't have that volume. We, we can't get there. And we know what supply shortages look like. We just spent a year going through that with su- supply chain interruptions. That was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> this would be uh, exponentially worse. And I'm not trying to scare people. One, I'm telling you, be prepared. You know, have a, a couple months of food on, on hand in your house so that um, you don't have to make a rash decision to get on an airline and go to grandma's house in Kansas or something. Um, that's what I've done. I've stored up food because I'm the guy that can't leave because I'm responsible for the port if it fails. I got to stay. The good news is, is we now have the PCT the petroleum cement terminal uh, up and running, brand new, seismically secure. I think we've had th- three uh, cement ships in. Um, and we're so we are, <laughs> our cement and petroleum is seismically secure for delivery. Um, but, um, but our food isn't. And without the food, we really don't have anything. And the further away you get from Anchorage, from that port, the worse it gets. So can you imagine what's going to happen in the bush? Oh yeah. So we have to think. St- look, look, this, at the, this look at the look at the price right now problem. with with things going normal. You know, oh yeah. yeah. Price of food or milk or you know whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> in some place, I'm hearing seven to twelve dollars a gallon for milk. Mm-hmm. Bush. So uh, we have to think globally um, when it comes to the port, certainly, and we have to come to a, a statewide solution for that. So last legislative session a year ago, the legislature came on board with two hundred million dollars. Uh, the municipality of Anchorage came on I, uh, uh, at $165 million last year. Um, Senators Sullivan and Murkowski got us a $70 million grant, largest grant of any port in the country, marine ports. We got that. We think we're going to win most, if not all, of the 367 of the Marad settlement. We won the settlement. Now they're waiting to determine if we're going to get the full. It's funny. Sometimes you win money and then you can't. You still can't get it. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that's that's the lawyers and that's government. So uh, we're looking at that. And then at the end of the day, by third quarter 2025, who's ever mayor at that time will have to make a decision on going to in in the assembly. We'll we'll make a decision on a uni- uh, the tariff rate. So mm-hmm. we're at about. $3.40 a ton right now. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to keep that absolutely as low as possible because that adds to the cost of food and goods. But for perspective, Honolulu's at about $35 a ton, and they're, they're, oh, functioning, wow. they're functioning. Ten times more. Ten times more. So I, I think we uh, there's a reasonable window where we're going to have to pay some surcharge, which pays for the construction of the port so we would – We'd create revenue bonds, and then we would pay that off. Well, I, I think, you know, speaking for myself, and I think a lot of folks, I'm a taxpayer of property, and mm-hmm. I think people, I don't mind paying, but it's the value. You know, like if I'm going to pay, are you going to get the roads plowed? Are you going to have these things, right. you know, safe, secure? Like, yep. I think probably most people feel that way. I think what yeah, people you, get mad you, about is you want to get what you pay when, for. When you spend money, and then it feels like it's getting wasted. That's where people get upset. Right. And, um, and that, that touches everything. Uh, I can assure the public that on nearly everything the city is doing, it's not wasting. Um, homeless, I, I think there's one area where there is some waste, and that's on this homeless solution. We, we've got to treat that as a business. We've got to operate it as a you know, data-driven um, kind of business model. I, I set up a plan to do that from the sh- on the shelter aspect. Now the hotel conversions, um, that's a different thing. Uh, as I look at your San Francisco book over there. Great uh, book. I, if anybody's yeah. listening, read that book. It's yeah, really San, I have it. My uh, housing and uh, homeless coordinator, Alexis Johnson, has it. She turned me on to it. We read it. And, and sometimes we see we're going down that same path. The irony here is that... Um, there's a gal in town here who runs a company that now does an excellent job on treating our homeless situation. Um, Sean Hayes, who used to work for the municipality, mm-hmm. she not, she created a, a company called Henning. Well, Sean used to live homeless in, in San Francisco. She knows what she's talking about, and Henning is doing a great job. Uh, they have been doing a great job. They were the last operator of the Sullivan um, very good work, and, and she she will confirm much of the assertions made by the author in San Francisco. 
Last thing I want to ask you about is downtown. There's been a little bit of the Fourth Avenue Theater deal, and then there's the Key Bank that's kind of getting getting finished. It seems like what what's talk, happening downtown. I know a lot of mayors for since I moved here 20 years ago. Downtown's always like a topic. Well, when we first came in, that's called Block 41. All of our blocks in the city are <coughs> excuse me are numbered. It's the Block 41. It's the old Key Bank building. And that included the block uh, with Fourth Avenue Theater. Fourth Avenue Theater was an was a lead paint asbestos safety nightmare, and it had to come down. Uh, but when I came into office, first thing I met with the developers, and I says they said we have been thwarted at every turn for at least ten years on getting this developed. Um, they barely got through the key bank thing, and so I I just worked with them. Uh, they're they're a good group um, to work with. And now they're developing the entire block. And, and that's going to change the face of downtown. It's going to really robust our the, the economic driver that should be downtown. Um, we're real happy with it. We've got a couple other projects coming online uh, that we're real proud of. We can't announce them yet, uh, but we're at over $300 million a downtown for construction. Want to give us a little little, little tease or no? No, 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 oh, no, no teases because I just I just keep my mouth shut on the things I'm supposed to. But you'll you'll see them fairly soon. Uh, Mike Robbins over at ACDA. He's he's really driving downtown and all of Anchorage development. He's uh, ACDA has created a facade program uh, where we give low interest loans out to a company or to stores that want to improve their storefront. And that's not just downtown that he's focusing right now on Muldoon. We want to, we want to improve the appearance, the, um, the uh, curb appeal of, of, of the Muldoon business district. So they folks can certainly reach out to ACDA for that. Um, uh, we've got a lot, a lot of good stuff going on. I'm, I'm greatly encouraged. Uh, I know everyone thinks homeless is, is, is the big thing. Um, it's not uh, if I don't prioritize things. The port is the single most important project in this state by far because of how, what we explained. Then the single, uh, the next be- important thing is is we've got to get housing built. Uh, yeah, absolutely, from the entire, absolutely. And I'm not just talking low-income housing. I'm talking the entire spectrum. Because if you build more and more and more five, six, seven dollars $700,000 homes, guess what? The cost of the $150,000, $200,000, homes, the, the, they become lower. And, and it's a supply, uh, it's a, a demand versus supply thing, and we need to increase the supply and get government. That's the second most important thing. Homeless is since it metastasizes essentially into every aspect of development in, in our city and the operation of our city is, is like number three or four. It, so I'm not saying it's not important, but it's, it's not number one. It's just the thing we talk about a lot. Well, it's July, so it's been two years, and we have the election in, in April, and I feel like right. that will probably start <clears throat> heating up late fall, right. obviously early you know, January is filing so that's that's coming that's not too far around the corner yeah. for some folks have filed i've filed so time move time moves flies doesn't it flies by two oh, years yeah when you're real busy it definitely does that'll be interesting because there's suzanne lafrance filed and she's a former yeah. chair and you guys interacted a lot and then right chris tuck who's a former legislator he filed and then mm-hmm. like i said i think it's going to be by the time it comes around to the end there'll probably be quite a few folks in the race yeah i, <laughs> I suspect they'll be we'll be in that six to ten range uh, again uh, that's kind of seems to be the new normal. So uh, good, more the merrier. Uh, the people will speak. They'll pick their candidate. They'll pick their next mayor. If it's me, I'm I'm honored to do it. If it's not me, I can always go back to retirement where I was very happy. So uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot of salmon that need to be caught, and and uh, maybe a moose and caribou. Or no two. more flying. What's that? No more flying. Well, I fly my own airplane, but, no, but not not for commercially. Well, I, I wouldn't mind. Uh, a three or four day a week uh, stay in Alaska, commercial flying job, you know, yeah, well, uh, 135 or 91, part 91 job. Senator Shower, he's a FedEx guy, right? He flies for FedEx, so he's still he's yeah, trying, he's, to, do, trying he's, to do both. He's, he's over there. I think he's still an MD-11 captain. I think uh, Kevin McCabe, too, he flies for uh, Atlas. I think uh, uh, Kevin is almost precisely my age. I turned 65 last week, so I timed out. So You're 65? No no more part 121 flying. You look uh, I, I don't as you were 65, I thought you were probably in your 50s. Well, I feel like I'm 80. Looking good. <laughs> but have um, you heard? This is like I can ask you about this. This was on NBC News a few months ago. But the uh, mandatory is 65. But there's right. been talk about raising it a little bit because we're losing so many pilots 
right now to reti- force retirement. Well, and there's that, so that, few that, new pilots coming, right. coming on board. Yeah, when I started, it was age 60. And then when I got into my, oh, I think it was mid-50s, late 50s, it turned into age 65, which I kind of liked because, you know, when I started flying, and this is just old wives' tales from, from flying. When I started flying, I was a second officer on a 747 in Anchorage, and we would be flying to Asia, you know, Narita or um, Seoul, something like that. And you'd get on and these old captains, they were all seemed to be all Vietnam veteran guys. And they'd smoke their way all the way across. So the cockpit's full of smoke. They'd get there and they'd drink hard, eat hard, barely sleep and turn around and smoke all the way back, you know, cigarettes. And, uh, but now you go, you look at a, and everyone's, well, does the hotel have, what kind of food does it have? Does it have low sugar diet? Does it have an exercise room? And so gluten free. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's the uh, maybe 65 or 70 is the new age 60 or my, something. My, I don't my, know. my dad flew in the enlisted air crew in the Navy. He was 25 oh. years and he flew in the S2. But his buddy, who was a pilot in Vietnam, he went on to, he's retired now, but he was a senior captain at an American on the 777, you know. And, yeah. Um, it's, he was making a lot of money. And, and now I still think there's, there's money for the top spots, but some of these like junior pilots, you know, it's very little money. Well, uh, compared to that, how it, that was true several years ago. Um, it, it's not true anymore. They're they're making at year two. Of course, you have a probationary year, year one, and then when you get to year two, everyone's making very good money. You're, you're the guy. I'm, that, di- I'm dialed into that. So, but it, when I was young, it w- it was bad. It would take you a lot of years to get to that 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 big money. You're the guy in the. Like Alaska flight, if something goes down, they say, "Is there a pilot?" Boom, you're you're the guy, right? Well, if I'm awake, <laughs> I, I would respond. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I retired off the seven fifty seven seven sixty seven, and I I spent a year flying almost exclusively international. I was pretty honestly upset when they said they were going to stop making the seven forty seven. That's I think the coolest plane out there. They, they last year I think announced they were going to stop producing those. Yeah, the eight hundred. <coughs> uh, then there was this. What was it? Seven. I only flew the one hundreds and two hundreds. I never even flew the four hundreds. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you something. I was flying in two thousand three a seven forty seven from Minneapolis to to um, again old, old pilots' tales. But but I learned a big lesson here. Uh, seven forty seven full of troops, passenger plane to Amsterdam, and then uh, wingtip to wingtip with a noose. Um, Airbus A330. And so we were flight planning together in Minneapolis. Too. And I looked at their fuel consumption and the amount. Of, we could haul a few more people, but the A330 was using a fraction yeah. of the fuel. Two motors, two pilots. Of course, international, it would be three. And uh, and I just looked at it and I says, yeah, four-engine aircraft, except for maybe specialty things like UPS and, and Atlas, have a, they can they can make money with them. Um but as far as a passenger aircraft, yeah, that I've only flown on a 747 one or two times in Asia, within Asia. Right. I haven't really. Fl- it's always an Airbus or a 757 or 777. You know, it's kind of crazy to think the commercial air aviation since the 60s mm-hmm. hasn't really changed much. Well, the technology has changed absolutely dramatically, dramatically. But but I'm saying from point A to point B in a plane, it's basically the times haven't really. It's, yeah, it's kind of the same. St- we still need Anchorage. You know, there's this notion that with the, with the advent of the triple seven, uh, which is easily, I guess, a 15, 16 hour aircraft, uh, double crewed, um, double crewed plus, um, that we would be overflying Anchorage. You know, so we've got Memphis to Narita, that would be um, that would be FedEx, or you got uh, Louisville to the same, and that would be um, UPS. But somehow they always need to stop. They, we're still stopping. Well, we, we, and that is good for us. That is a cash cow for the city, that airport. We've seen the cargo uh, COVID, I guess, part of that. But we've seen it go up. We're one. I think for a while we were the busiest. We hadn't been for a long right. time. And now we're, I think, second, second. or third um, in we the world. We were fourth for a long time. And now, now we're second. COVID did change that. And that was because of the shutdown policies in China itself. Um, and I just dodged that because when COVID hit, they offered, they offered me my last flight, I think it was March 27th of three years ago. 
And oh, so you had just missed all of it. Well, COVID hit, and, and I thought I was coming back for a, in three days for a trip. And he says, yeah, there's this COVID thing. Why don't you stay home, and we'll figure it out. Well, got, got around to, by the time I got to uh, August and September, this is a, you want to take an early retirement. So uh, I did. And so I missed all of the shutdown, the draconian, ineffective, damaging um, policies of, of China because I spent a lot of time in China. Loved it, Shanghai. I've been Shanghai, to uh, Kudong, I've uh, been to Hong Kong, and then I was in uh, Guangzhou years ago, and it was it was a whole different experience. But Hong Kong's great. I love Hong Kong. Yeah, I've spent. Uh, my wife has actually gone on trips with me uh, to Hong Kong. Uh, I love it, but it's not what it used to be. I like uh, uh, government I like, matters, and I'm telling you, the red uh, the CCP has taken over Hong Kong. Yeah, they have. And it's yeah. not what it what it was. I like. Um, oh, I'm just blanking the name. Portugal, the gambling. Uh, Oh, Macau. Macau, yeah. I, yeah. I, I was in Macau, and who that place makes Vegas look tame. I mean, it's a lot of action there in Macau, a lot of big gamblers in Macau. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest with you, it's so close to Hong Kong. Of course, they got the new viaduct or the, the bridge slash tunnel that goes over there. And I watched off the end of the runway, watched it uh, of the uh, west end of the runway at Hong Kong, watched them build that as they're loading my airplane. And uh, but I never been to Macau. It's always been an alternate, but it's it uh, never if, if, never if, had if, the reason to go there. If, if you gamble, you should go check it out. If you don't gamble, <laughs> probably, probably not. Well, worth there's it. always Vegas. So, well, thanks a lot, Mayor Bronson, for coming yeah. in two years. Yeah, uh, appreciate it. More than two years in office, and then obviously the elections in April. And um, yeah, sure first Tuesday be, in April. Sure, sure, there's going to be a lot going on between now and then. So, appreciate oh, you coming lot. on and having yep. a good conversation. Yep, appreciate thanks it. Thanks again, Mayor Bronson. Yep. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.